Two-story landed homes coming soon in Bandarim Bayou. Guarded community living that's affordable. With easy access to highways, conveniences, shopping mall and dining choices. Make Robin at Rimbayou your private nature escape now. Register your interest to enjoy the best deal. Visit Rimbayou.com or call 017-964-0828. Banda Rimbayou. Reliving nostalgic memories today. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I, I get your point. I think this sounds like a very mundane response to what you mentioned, but I think it's about striking a balance. I think there's this one part. Well, that's the thing. I don't think yeah. we're that balanced. What? Sorry? I don't think we're that good at well, balance. We're, yeah, we're not. We wanted more. I <laughs> <And> think. I think, <laughs> I think the best of us comes out when there's no balance, in a way, right? The fact that Maybe. I'm willing to just <laughs> sacrifice my time for someone else. Yeah. You know, I'm willing to just like not think twice about supporting somebody. What's the ultimate you know or I mean? the core intention for you when you do that? Do you think it's become like a, almost a, a <laughs> session already? Well, I think the old-fashioned word for it is like care or love yes, or something. Yes. You know, where where there is again the ethos of self-preservation, yes, right? Yes. That that is sort of presumed when we think mm. about burnout, when yep. we think about distance. Yep. You know. And I guess I'm old-fashioned in that sense. Like, I like my friendships and relationships in the mire, so to mm. speak, you know. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Night School. The show that explores concepts, theories, and society. We are joined this week by regular of the show, an old friend, and a night school alumni, Eugene T. Welcome back, man. Hi, Fuad. Uh, good to see you again. And we are going to talk today about emotional literacy. Okay. Right? So much of what we've talked about here has been about emotions, mm-hmm. right? But I think identifying them is a whole other process, a whole other set of skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, because before you can know what you want to do with your feelings, you got to know what they are, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully we can get some insights from you on how to better know ourselves in that regard, right? How to better know ourselves in light of the murky territory uh, <laughs> that is feelings. So tell us a bit about how do we start thinking about this? Poetic as always, Fouad. Um, I think it's interesting that you raised up emotional literacy. The more commonly used term that a lot of our, our listeners and yourself, I imagine, will be familiar with is emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I think the way in which we have measured emotional intelligence, what we have tried to do is gravitate towards the scientific, the what we call psychometrically sound measure. So emotional intelligence is an ability as with is a lot of forms of different intelligences. But emotional literacy is a little bit different. I think at the very core of what we call literacy is empathy. And it's Mm. this recognition that we need to be self-aware of our emotions and also importantly how our emotions as they're being expressed and conveyed impact those around us. It's interesting that with, well, in contrast with emotional intelligence, emotional literacy actually comes from a counseling foundation. And so rather than say, look, we're going to measure these skills or these abilities as per intelligence, emotional literacy, I think, is a kind of social competency Hmm. which can be developed. Yeah, and I think the key difference there is the significance of contextual awareness. Absolutely. That you are inhabiting a different context, another person is Mm -hmm. coming from a different place, right? And 
you have to be aware of that, mm-hmm. right? Um, now, where are the skills from, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I assume counselors might be trained in this, but I also wonder to what extent. Yep. So if we just go back to the de- development of the two concepts, emotional literacy, as is with uh, what we've discussed just a while ago, having its roots in counseling. And these are people-related skills. They're not so much intelligences. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you describe the importance of context when it comes to emotional literacy. One of the criticisms with emotional intelligence is that it tends to be an individual level skill. Mm. And what we want to do when we cultivate, develop, train individuals in emotional intelligence is so that they can themselves use emotions for personal and professional effectiveness. Emotional literacy goes one step further. Context is important, but you'll often also see training, skills development sessions in emotional literacy that focus on, look, acknowledge that people come from a different racial background from a different ethnic background, if you're dealing with someone of the opposite sex or gender, that also comes into play. So I Mm -hmm. think that's a very other-oriented approach and focus Mm. that you see in literacy that you don't necessarily acknowledge or see or measure or train uh, in intelligence. So what are the indicators, right? Because when we talk about literacy, we're talking about reading. There's a subject Mm -hmm. and there's an object, right? There is the reader and the read, Mm -hmm. right? And are we looking at body language? Are we looking at choices of words? Mm -hmm. Probably all of the above, right? But mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about the processing or, mm-hmm. or the uh, the digesting that happens. Right. So I think we will actually focus on multiple factors and multiple levels as well in any interaction. So that's the context, right? But if you narrow it down, that's the environment, that's the players, the party, the individuals within that situation. Mm-hmm. Go one step further, go one step lower in that way in this regard. Then you think about the background. Where is this person coming from? their history, or maybe it's just gotten back from a very difficult meeting or situation. So it's very multi-layered. And I think it's a little bit of a tall order, very difficult for us to assume that one set of emotions, one palette of emotions is going to be applicable to every single situation. Emotional literacy trains us to acknowledge that each situation is unique, each individual is unique, and we need to factor us all in before we make a decision as to how we express and relate to others. Yeah. Well, I guess where I struggle with the most is understanding, I guess, the texture of emotions, Mm. right? In that a person grieving isn't necessarily actively feeling sad. It's more of a disposition, right? right? It's more of a a standpoint Mm. or a posture Mm. rather than a rush of sensations or, or being somehow overtaken by a certain affect or something That's like right. that. So at that point, emotions become dissipated or mm. distributed in a different way yes. than say how we tend to think of it, right? Yes, so that's right. we tend to think of emotions in terms of this happened to me, therefore I feel X. Correct. And that cause and effect thing, it helps as a kind of explanatory tool. Mm-hmm. But in effect, how we inhabit emotions is a mm. bit more complicated, right? Absolutely. Um, if I could just build on your your example a while ago, just someone just because someone is grieving does not mean that you're not experiencing other emotions. Right. You talked about the disposition as well, and personality psychology research has identified that yes, pretty much any subjective human experience is moderated. It's influenced by individual characteristics. People who are neurotic, for instance, tend to feel the full force or the brunt of negative emotions more strongly. But I just want to build on your second point, which because I think it's interesting to say that because X happened, I feel Y is, in my opinion, a very simplified way of mm-hmm. looking into that. So grief and the kinds of sadness that 
maybe someone who actually goes through might be masking other underlying emotions as mm-hmm. well. Maybe emotions which they feel are a little bit more appropriate, less appropriate. I think they'll stifle those emotions. Mm-hmm. So you could imagine someone who's just lost someone might actually be experiencing deep down within themselves some sense of anger, disappointment, maybe a sense of regret as well for maybe not having treated this person a little bit better when, when they were still around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also wonder the extent to which we can know mm. what's going on, you know, because mm. I wonder if a lot of these terms are just provisional, mm. right? Because there are always layers to things. That's right. And when we name something we're going through, it's maybe a slice of that. Yes, Whatever that right. bigger thing that's happening to us. So Absolutely. I might feel angry at something otherwise mundane, mm. you know, somebody cutting me off at traffic or something. Mm-hmm. And, and somehow the anger is so unusually intense. Yes. But this is related to maybe something else that I'm dealing with. That's right. But as the anger sort of takes over me, mm-hmm. I can't see that those interconnections. Yes. Right? Yeah. And at that point, you want to put your rational hat on and kind of step <laughs> back. But, you know, that's, is that really emotional literacy at that point? You're rationalizing, right? Well, it is so, a skill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think it is a skill. I think you've also taken that first step towards recognizing that when someone cuts me off in traffic, it's not this person cutting me off that's really triggering this intense emotion. It could be something else seething beneath the surface. There is a theory called mood congruent recall. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is when you're in an angry state or whichever emotion or mood state, you tend to more easily recall all the kinds of injustices mm-hmm. or the problems mm-hmm. or the annoyances just because you are in that state. So yeah. there's this very strong connection between your emotion or your mood state with what you tend to recall. Right. So suddenly when someone cuts you off in the middle of the road, you feel this world is completely unjust. Why does so many cars around? Why is just, And you know, some memory from 10 years ago comes up. And some memory from 10 years ago. Yeah, it's not surprising. <laughs> so I, I think what you've done is made a recognition that this occurs. Self-awareness is an important component of emotional literacy as yeah. it is of emotional intelligence. And I think what you're doing there is a realization. Having this realization is really a good first step, an important first step. Well, well now this makes me wonder if emotions are just these appendages mm-hmm. to something else, mm-hmm. right? In that, you know, is the problem, say, maybe a question of character? Yes. Right? Is, is it really, is the problem really the sadness or something Correct. about you that finds the sadness troubling mm. or finds the sadness difficult to handle, mm. you know. And this is where my sense of things tend to kind of end up, you know, in mm. that is it really these things or is it really the feeling or is it, you know, certain things you haven't come to terms with yes. yourself, right? So our emotions just surface bandages mm-hmm. for, for like other things that are happening, right? Or is it, is it really those emotions themselves that are at work? Right? Well, that's a fascinating question. How do I answer this one? I think there are m- many layers. I like the terms that you use in terms of levels. I also like the term appendages because how we express our emotions out outside to the social world, to our family and friends might be very different from what we truly feel inside. Um, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not trained to be one. But I would say that unraveling or peeling away the layers one by one, slowly, until you get to the root of that very problem, is an important step. Yep. It's recognizing what it is that resides at the core of your emotional experience. So you can probably think about it as a kind of onion, the core of the, I'm not sure if you call it the center bit, the core of the yeah, onion. Yeah. Uh, that's really what it is that's causing, or, or you know, flaring up all the other related emotions, the appendages, as you would call it. Uh, but, well, this is my problem then. What is the scientific explanation for this core, right? Because... Mm-hmm. 
you peel long enough and yep. you want to ground. You want to yes. land somewhere. Correct. You don't just want to keep Correct. peeling into the void and mm-hmm. go, what, what's going on here? Yep. And some people hold on to the soul yeah. and religion sort of furnishes entire metaphysics Absolutely. for that, cosmology for that. Yep. These days, people want to end up somewhere in the brain. Right? Yes. They want to look at different parts of yes, the brain correct. for where it all ultimately uh, ends. Yep. Right? So um, I'd be very disappointed if it's just the brain. You okay. know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, I prefer something metaphysical. For like, <laughs> well, I don't know. So there's I a mean, greater meaning to our suffering. And this. I, well, I the brain's yeah. very fascinating. Yes, but it is. I, I just wonder if it's just like, if I eat more vitamins, I'll feel oh, better. Okay. You know? I Are mean, is that really yeah. about what it's about? You know, it's I, emotional literacy <laughs> just taking us there. The I think day. the very core of what you've asked is, are we more than our molecules? Are we more than Maybe, the yeah, neurochemicals yeah. that we have? I think they play a large part of it. I think whatever meaning or sense of, you know, significance that we draw from that, it's a very subjective experience and there's nothing wrong with drawing upon that area if it helps you cope with, uh, like you said, people you know, think or, or try to see about the greater significance of why it is that they're going through. Some people turn to religion and that's completely fine. Mm-hmm. But I think just going back to your question, this is, I think it's really extended beyond what most, uh, most of us would be discussing when it comes to emotional literacy. It's something a little bit more therapeutic as well. I think there are overlaps. It's important that we recognize how we feel. Yeah. It's also at the core of, of emotional literacy. I would imagine this would also have implications for clinical or counseling practice. Yeah. Well, my question is less about what, you know, I don't want it to make it sound like when I ask, like, what's at the bottom of it? Mm. It sounds like I'm asking what's in it for me, mm-hmm. you know, but I guess my inquiry is more sociological mm-hmm. in that the world makes a lot of emotional demands on us. Absolutely. Right? So you drive down the street and you see, billboards and ads mm. and you on one, one hand you're desensitized already because mm-hmm. you live in a commercial society yes everybody's telling you how you should feel yes right uh, and in politics mm. you know there are people who are indignant online telling mm. you to feel angry about this right so the question of taking ownership mm-hmm. of the terms and conditions of your feelings so mm-hmm. that you're not just going to be swept away yes right it's very important but I guess this is where my interest in, okay, where's the I here? If, mm. if ultimately, you know, literacy is about the person who is mm. reading, yes, right? What is the reader, right? Is it yep. just a bunch of neurons zapping, you know? So anyway, we'll pause on that. We'll come back <laughs> to the second part of the show because okay, I know sure. the answer is probably going to be elaborate. But uh, we'll take a break for now. Eugene T is our guest talking about emotional literacy. I'm Amal Fat Rahman and this is Night School on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, I'm Ahmad Fawad Rahmat. This is Night School, and we are talking about emotional literacy with uh, one of our frequent guests here, Eugene T., um, who just recently co-authored a book, which is now in stores. We can talk about that later. But in the first part of the show, we talk about, I guess, ultimately, the idea that emotional literacy is also about well-being. Yes, It's it also is. about character, mm-hmm. right? And ultimately, I guess I wonder about, you know, if the struggle is about you know, being in touch with our feelings, mm-hmm. basically, if you want to put it in a shorthand, mm-hmm. you know, what is the healthy vision of the person mm-hmm. that we, we kind of have to aspire to, mm-hmm. right? So um, what are your thoughts on that on, on my last remark? Mm, I would think an emotionally literate person would be aware of their own emotions. I think common across both emotional literacy and emotional intelligence is this heightened degree of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Knowing yourself, knowing your history, knowing your background, knowing your past experiences, knowing your personality as well, knowing your gender, because all of these would have a strong influence on how you perceive 
experience and also subsequently express your emotion. So at the very core of it, that would be self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Now, on your second point, when you made mention of the billboards and the kinds of emotional demands placed upon us by a very materialistic society, a book which uh, my colleague and co-author Sandy Clark likes to make mention of is The Persuaders. And a lot of times there is a kind of intent to actually tilt you, to nudge you towards purchasing something, to believing something. Um, If I could just say um, that there's this one particular quote which I often cite, um, men, in addition to women, are more oftentimes led by their hearts than with their minds. So there is a subtle yet a very powerful influence of emotion in our thoughts, in our behaviors. I think recognizing that is another component of self-awareness, just if at the very least to understand that the entire world, like you said, places an emotional demand on us. Mm -hmm. Politicians want us to feel one way towards Mm -hmm. them. Advertisements Organizations want us to feel one way towards their organizations or the products and services that they sell. And I think that's just how the entire materialistic commercial world actually works. Mm -hmm. Emotion is a very powerful influence on our thoughts and our behaviors. Yeah. I wonder if there's a place where emotional literacy doesn't work or just Mm. can't be applied. And Mm. and I'm thinking about uh, human relationships, Mm -hmm. right? And there's a certain point in which it's actually very good that you're not always reading and scanning what that's another right. person is feeling, yeah. mm. right? Uh, you don't, uh, relationships can't work if that's how the MO is, yeah. right? <laughs> like, I have to constantly be aware of yes. what this person might be yep. feeling, how sensitive he or mm. she is. A healthy relationship, to an extent, depends on robust trusting. Absolutely. Right? And at that point, the feelings are seamless, right? Mm. Uh, so, tell us a bit about that. At what point does you know, reading become mm. problematic, right? Mm. Uh, yeah. I think if you're going to use your emotional literacy skills, I mean, the root of it all is empathy. So I can, off the top of my head, think of two possible negative repercussions of this. And the first would be scrutinizing the relationship until maybe some trust or the established trust that you have with this other individual has been affected. There's a lot of research evidence that suggests that when people over-empathize, they get burnt out, they mm-hmm. get tired out. Mm-hmm. So there is a tendency for us to care too much, to put our hearts out there and to, I mean, if you look into research of compassion fatigue, caregiver Why does that happen, well. by the way? How do people get to mm. a point where they care so much, to the point where there's no self-interest anymore? Yeah. The self-interest is in caring too much, Correct. right? So yeah. how, how does that happen? I think you pass the point where you care for this other individual. And I think, understandably, people do care for, say, people in, in need, people who are ill. But past a certain point, if there's no check and balance in terms of self-care for that individual, right. it is natural for that individual to burn out. Too much of themselves has been given, too much of their attention, their focus, their energy. All of this culminates in what we know as empathy or compassion fatigue. Yeah. And there is a point too when, you know, love comes in. <laughs> and maybe we can talk about the romantic kind, just as a kind of setting up the context for my mm-hmm. question in that emotional literacy becomes almost difficult because mm-hmm. you cannot... Because there's a certain ob- objectivity that it mm-hmm. presumes, that it requires, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the best of love, or so I've been told, occurs when, you know, you are very much one with mm. the commitment or the feeling. Ever right? the romantic for one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm paraphrasing a lot of I mean, things I've been told. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well. So I'm trying, trying, to, trying to channel that. But I guess my concern is what commercial society, what material society has done to us, Mm. where people have become burdens, Mm. right? And reading emotions becomes this cost-benefit thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I I can't go in too much. I can't give in too much, you know. Prenuptials, please. You know, there's a lot of these things where 
people have become such burdens that mm-hmm. feelings too have become sort of measurables. Mm. You know? So how do we then stay loyal to the sort of carefulness that mm-hmm. emotional literacy demands, mm-hmm. but at the same time, the fact that love thrives when self-preservation is an agenda. Yes. You know, That's am right. I making sense? You no, know, no, you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there was a poem in that somewhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, I, I get your point. I think this sounds like a very mundane response to what you mentioned, but I think it's about striking a balance. I think there's this one part. Well, that's the thing. I don't think yeah. we're that balanced. What? Sorry? I don't think we're that good well, at balance. Yeah, we're not. We <laughs> wanted more. I and think. I, think, <laughs> I think the best of us comes out when there's no balance, in a way, right? The fact that Maybe. I'm willing to just <laughs> sacrifice my time for someone else. Yep. You know, I'm willing to just like not think twice about supporting somebody. What's the ultimate or the core intention for you when you do that, do you think? It's become like almost a a (laughs) session already. Well, I think the old-fashioned word for it is like care or love or something, you know, where where there is, again, the ethos of self-preservation, right, that that is sort of presumed when we think Mm. about burnout, when we think about distance, you know. And I guess I'm old-fashioned in that sense. Like, I like my friendships and relationships in the mire, so mm. to speak, you know. So, again, I just want to caveat that, mm. you know, this balance thing, I guess, as you're explaining balance, this is what comes, what yeah. lights up in my head. Anyway, yeah. go on. You were, I, don't, I didn't want to stop you. No, yet. no, it's fine. I, 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 oh, this is non-scientific by any way, but <laughs> a, I, a friend of mine used to say that in any relationship, that also give a little bit more and those who take a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. And um, from how you've described yourself, what I think you're one that gives a little bit No, anyway, maybe. Anyway. anyway yeah. So the, analogy that, about, she, the yeah. analogy that she uses would be a flower and a garden. I think uh, right, they right. both, you know, mutually reinforce one another. I think we can talk about codependence as well. Yeah. And striking a balance in between the two. I am going to be a little bit more idealistic as well, since I can and because you have already. I think it's a balanced relationship where two individuals bring out the best in one another. They don't scrutinize, nor do they use their emotional abilities for, say, nefarious self-serving purposes. Mm -hmm. A vulnerability is another core theme, which you have highlighted. I think it is an important one the willingness to be vulnerable. In fact, the definition of trust, which some psychological research use, is the willingness to put yourself at a risk Mm -hmm. of being affected adversely or being betrayed by this other Mm -hmm, party. mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess that's the other thing as well, Mm. right? In that when we talk about vulnerability, it's such an important trait for Mm. self-transformation, right? Because the idea that to let someone else change you, Mm. you know, it's become an issue now, right? Mm. But... I think for the longest time, a lot of relationships endure largely because of that, you know. Mm. My other question here is this, like, is empathy necessarily a form of vulnerability, right? It's a very, very good question. Yeah, Let because, me just phrase that. Yeah. <laughs> because in a sense where there's something, uh, it presumes that, on, on the face of it, it looks like that, Yeah. right? But there's also something very self-serving about it, right? Mm. I mean, it's dangerous... It's a slippery slope in that sometimes when we do empathize, mm-hmm. a lot of it is driven by projections that we have mm-hmm. or certain things we're hoping to be fulfilled That's from right. empathy and stuff That's like right. that. It has a sentimental gloss, yes. right? But I've seen situations when empathy gets very, very narcissistic yes. or, you know, yes. or very, very problematic mm. for the relationship where it's not wanted mm. or where it exceeds certain boundaries. Right? Correct. I agree with you. Um, there's a risk when individuals come together and they empathize. So the person who expresses and expects empathy may not necessarily get it. On the other hand, the person who is being spoken to, the recipient, if you will, would 
as I've mentioned, suffer some degree of empathy burnout if mm-hmm. this prolongs or some kind of enmeshment or codependency actually results from empathizing or in this case, over-empathizing. So there are definitely risks to empathizing for both the person who expects it and for the person who also experiences it or receives it as well. Can you tell us a little bit about this burnout? Because it seems so mm. crucial to emotional literacy, mm. right? Because you don't want to give too much mm. or give too little. Yep. And again, just whole idea of optimizing feelings is all. Like, maybe right. we can talk about this later. But yeah. <laughs> let's just theoretically presume it's possible. Okay. But what is what is burnout? You know, how do you tell the difference between burnout mm. or just like, you know, boredom or just mm. basically being tired from a long day or something? Mm. Right? What makes it burnout? I think there is this uh, sort of metaphor in which when you move into this other person's world and this person opens the door, you put one foot in. But if you put two of your feet in there and you spend a long long time in there, you're going to be in a way subsumed by this other person's worldviews, their emotions, right. obviously, and their perception. So in a way that's striking that balance, if it helps maybe yourself and the readers, maybe just uh, visualize it a little bit more so you have one feet, or one foot in this case, inside the world of the person that you're empathizing with and one foot outside. I think there's nothing selfish with being self-care, uh, with, with engaging in self-care. Some of the articles that Sunny and myself have written have also, you know, hit upon this point that, you know, if I'm compassionate towards myself, I'm being selfish. Look, other people mm. need me. Why why should I think about myself in this situation? My mother, my my father actually needs me. How can I think about myself? But I think we're only human. And I think that kind of empathy needs to extend to ourselves too yeah. as well. So empathy, being empathetic, being self-compassionate, I think these are important characteristic skills as well if we are going to offer that love that care that support we also need to know that our reserves are not limitless that's very important you know because I've seen so many people Mm. who are good at showing care and concern Mm. but are terrible at receiving them (laughs) yeah you know I think I coughed at that because I hit a little bit too close to home <laughs> isn't it wow this is becoming very so, tough yeah but, but so yeah. I guess the, the question is you know I think we've presumed that emotional literacy mm. is a sort of like an outward process yeah. Yeah. to what extent is there an inward necessity to yes that's you know? right I think we pay a lot more attention to and maybe the training and the sessions that we've uh, attended and developed uh, focuses almost extensively on the other, right? Mm. So emotional intelligence has empathy, emotional literacy has empathy in its component as well. But I think as we move on, it's also important to balance that with recognizing what you can do for yourself. And that's important to put back in what you give out. Yeah, because there's also, again, this is the other thing. When we talk about burnout, Mm. the same thing applies, right? In that we are thinking of someone who's channeling to another. Mm. When I think there is also burnout from going solo too long yes you know i don't know what maybe it's not called burnout but the idea that you know you need to resolve it all by your own yeah yeah. and that's that's a different demand on your body yes than than serving someone else correct right correct yeah Yeah. but i think we're so predisposed to be self-centered right and i think i don't think there's anything malicious about Mm. that right because Mm. we're in a culture where the self comes first then Mm. the collective right so self-care self-awareness self-reflection You know, that the self somehow is burdened with so much to yep. offer itself, yeah. right? <laughs> that I can't imagine someone not being burnt out at some point mm. if, that's their, mm. if that's their creed, right? Yeah. 
So I think that's important as well. Um, I think it's it's crucial that we recognize we are only human too. Yeah. Uh, I myself would relate to that statement saying that I find it very difficult to reach out to others. I think for me, at least, I won't speak for, for the audience or for yourself. Um, I think if you have no good reason to trouble other people and you know what, if you can resolve it by yourself, do it by yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's some link between that and perfectionistic tendencies as mm, well mm-hmm. or the idea that you must portray or project a capable you know, image or persona of yourself to the world and the people around you. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also, I guess, a problem because there's a lot more options to think through things in conversation. And having mm-hmm. been in, in therapy client situations mm. myself, right, it's been helpful because the conversations mm. are audible. You have someone else who can hold up a mirror for you. That's and, right. But to kind of diagnose your own issues. It's mm. actually a slippery slope to it, a lot of problems as well, right? <laughs> so my question here then is, how does emotional literacy to oneself mm. work, if that's the case, mm. right? Uh, I guess, well, that presumes that you really can't love yourself by yourself, <laughs> right? <laughs> that is, uh, I, I think for some people, you, they all find it a little bit more difficult. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's because of their past history. Maybe it's through a spate of failed relationships or neglect from a parental care figure that creates this idea that they are unlovable. I think mm-hmm. for those individuals, they will feel that challenge a little bit more greater to overcome, to surmount. Mm-hmm. And I would say in those instances, they may benefit from a high degree of professional care therapy, mm-hmm. counseling, social support for that matter. You are the point on the individuals who self-diagnose. Well, maybe self-diagnosis is not the uh, proper term. At least I've, I've not seen that being used within the, the area which I work in. But a kind of development of your own uh, self-awareness. Right. Who are you? Right, right. I think you've got to be really honest about that, about your background, your personality. I mean, every single thing that makes you who you are. I think if you're more in tune with the core, the essence of who you are, then I think it's going to be a little bit more easier to navigate the ups and downs, hassles and uplifts yeah, that you experience yeah. in your emotional life. Yeah, I think we go back to that, the necessity of being vulnerable yeah. for either way. Either way, either mm. you want to like be a good provider or you a good mm quote-unquote taker, right? Mm. Uh, in that, you know, the sense that you're not impervious is mm. very important. It is. You know, it's. because I think somehow, you know, because we're all socialized in the rat race, mm-hmm. we're all in some form of like, you know, we're always comparing and we're mm. always sort of measuring ourselves yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. And at some point, the boundaries get too sealed. It does. Right. It um, does. In any case... Before we wrap up, though, you want to tell us a bit about your book? Yes, uh, the book is called Off Bromances and Biting Cute Babies. It's co-authored uh, with Dr. Choi Ling, who has okay. actually been on the show before, mm-hmm. and that uh, we list 89 questions about emotions, and we try to answer them, but it's all written for the lay audience. And it's been out for a few months now? For a couple of months. Okay. I think uh, you should be able to get it on uh, MBH Online. Okay. How's that doing, by the way? Uh, it's doing quite well. We oh, got an uh, update recently saying that it's apparently sold out, so you might need to uh, just wait a while before new stock arrives. Cool, cool. We'd love to have you again in any case. Um, Thank you for it. Because I think it's, it's always rich having you here. Uh, it's also therapeutic. Lot, so <laughs> um, how can we reach you? Are you on Twitter? Yes, okay. I'm on Twitter. So my handle is Eugene underscore T. Uh, every once in a while, I'll tweet emotions-related stuff. Okay. And of course, I'll share whatever podcast I've done with you guys at BFM. Wonderful. And you also teach at Help, so they can Google your name and Absolutely. find your yes. academic webpage. All right. Thank Thanks you. so much, Eugene. Thank you so much. For you can email the show at bfmnightschoolgmail.com. Look us up on Facebook at bfmnightschool. Type that in the search space. 
And also, be sure to download our app at the Apple App Store. I'm Ahmad Fat Rahma, and this is Night School on BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.